Hello, everyone, and welcome to another riveting, wonderful, ecstatically pleasing. <clears throat> welcome to another, oh my god, episode of that wrestling podcast. No, I'm joking. That's a different wrestling podcast. Maybe. I don't know. I make this shit up as I go. <clears throat> Sorry. I didn't realize I was losing my voice. I don't remember screaming at anyone. So, today, we're going to be... Well, here's, the, here's what the plan used to be. Okay? So, three days ago, I had planned on reviewing the... St. Valentine's Day Massacre. No, not the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that happened in the city of Chicago, I think, where Al Pacone Patron, these people got weird names, and Babyface Nelson apparently opened fire on either a, a group of, of hostages or it was like a drive-by shooting of some sort. Yeah, I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details because I never really bothered to look it up. But isn't it ironic that a day that's supposed to be all about love and affection would have... Such a horrendous, such a horrendous, um, event tied to it. Sorry, I was looking for the word. You know, it's, it's hard to really find the words sometimes. But, and in preparation for the St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view on the WWF. WWE Network, um, I went ahead and I watched, I planned on watching a week before, the Monday Night Raw before, the Friday Night Smackdown before, and then the actual pay-per-view itself. Why? Content. So that I could talk about the week prior to the actual episode, and leading up to the Valentine's Day episode. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Valentine's Day is almost upon us. And if that's the case, with me trying to stay fresh and trying to stay funky with the times, I decided it was a great idea to look back at a pay-per-view that took place on Valentine's Day 1999. But here's where the great idea ended, because my phone plan, which only costs $35 a month, at least for this month it costed $35 a month, because I went cheaper, and because it only cost $35 a month, I only got 5 gigs of high-speed data, and that only lasted me 4 or 5 days. So, because my phone plan has now been yanked out from underneath me, and I'm going to have to wait until Tuesday before I can renew my phone contract for my phone plan, to make a long story short, even though it's kind of a long story, it's taken me five minutes to explain it, I will have the $45 to pay my phone bill again, it's not the problem. That'll be on Tuesday, Sep September, holy crap, mm. Mm -mm -mm. I still think it's September, somebody needs to slap me with a fish, my cat looked at me when I said the word fish, but um, it, it, my phone plan ran out. 
this episode might only be 30 minutes long. But, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be an episode of content. So hopefully, you strap in, got yourself some popcorn, you're not drinking a beer, that's nasty. Hopefully I don't lose my voice, I'm not sure why, but I feel like I'm about to lose my voice, because I'm talking in a monotone I'm talking in a way that Kevin Owens talks when he does a promo. That, ladies and gentlemen, is also irony. Almost as ironic as the fact that a Chicago gangster guns, apparently gunned down however many people on a day that's supposed to be all about love. Can you imagine that? That's ironic. Irony at its finest. Let me tell you why it's ironic. It's because I spent a majority of my YouTube career defaming Kevin Owens for the exact same thing that I'm doing right now. I'm whispering. I don't know if anyone can hear me. Whenever this gets uploaded, I hope that they can hear me. I didn't realize that I was losing my voice whenever I started this episode. So I do apologize. (coughs) And I'm sorry for the coughing as well. It's extremely unpleasant. I probably do it on every episode, though. Nonetheless... We're going to kick today off with a episode of Monday Night Raw from 2-13-1999. That was the day before Valentine's Day and the day before the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Once again, not the Chicago gunfight. Or gunfire, it really wasn't that much of a fight. He guns down like 30 people or something like that. I don't see how these people sleep at night knowing that there's 30 people dead on Valentine's Day. Maybe more. Who knows at this point. I certainly didn't do the research for it. And this podcast is not about Chicago gunfire. Holy crap. Show opens up with highlights from that year's Royal Rumble event. A match between Vince McMahon versus Steve Austin. Okay, well I put a match, but it was not a match. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble match. Where... The last two participants were as follows. Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon and Mr. Steve Austin. Stone Cold Steve Austin. And you want to know what ended up happening? The Rock distracted Steve Austin because The Rock was also thrown over the top. There shortly after, or before... Because Austin had eliminated The Rock, if I remember correctly. Or at least if I remember the highlights correctly. Austin uh, clotheslines The Rock over the top rope. And then The Rock decides that it's a great idea to, um, while Austin's going for a, I guess a running or an Irish whip move, he goes and tries to grab his, his leg as he's going for it and then Austin immediately turns to the rock who's on the outside of the ring Austin's on the inside of the ring and he immediately points at him and tells him you son of a bitch you better stop it right now before I get I get out of this ring and I swear I'm gonna kick your ass 
And then The Rock, in response, is pointing at Steve Austin and running his mouth. It's hard to hear what he's saying, because they don't got microphones. It just If you could read lips, you probably know what The Rock is saying. Anyway, my point, of course, being... And then Mr. McMahon sneaks up behind Steve Austin and then just almost effort effortlessly without hesitation and without any trouble whatsoever is what I should say. Seeing as though that I can't say the word effortlessly for whatever reason. I had to enunciate it. <clears throat> Almost with no trouble whatsoever. Maybe with a little bit of trouble because Steve Austin's like 256 pounds. He picks him up and dumps him on the outside of the ring. Only to hear the announcer say the winner of the 1999 Royal Rumble is Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Mr. McMahon. And had that been the case, that means that Mr. McMahon is the winner of the 1999 Royal Rumble. The only problem with that, it goes back to AEW, if you think about it. Cody Rhodes said that he was never going to wrestle for a championship, or it was either one particular championship, or it was a championship you know, and I'm going to put that in air quotes, a championship. After a certain match that he had, apparently there's a stipulation where Cody Rhodes, as long as he's the vice president of talent relations like he is, he can't wrestle for a championship title belt. In other words, he can't book himself in main events and then just be like, hey guys, just deal with it, be happy with it, because I'm not sharing the spotlight, because there was a certain someone who did that a lot. Triple H. <coughs> Triple H. But, the next episode then entails, because, you see, after the Royal Rumble, and the reason that they're recapping the Royal Rumble, it, it's important to understand that Austin McMahon feud is still going on. <clears throat> and neither one of them is giving an inch. Let me just leave you guys with this before I, I begin anymore. Um, if So, growing up, I didn't understand this, but now that... I understand that wrestling is isn't what it what I perceived it to be growing up. You know, you think wrestling is um it's it's not a staged competition, you know? And growing up whenever you're thinking, "Hey, this is not a staged competition at all." You know, this right here this is about as real as a football game. This is as real as it gets. When you're growing up thinking that or not knowing that it's staged or, or faked, you never really question, well, if, and here's the question, okay? You ready? Okay, you never really question the relationship between Steve Austin and Vince McMahon if they hate each other so much. Why doesn't McMahon just fire Austin and be done with him? I mean, imagine one day you go to work and your boss hates you so much, but you just keep climbing the corporate ladder and keep getting promotions. But every time that you see your boss, you just flip him off and flip him off and flip him off. But he knows that you're doing good in the company that you're working for. What? That doesn't make any sense. Your boss, your immediate supervisor should have every right if they feel threatened, if they feel uh, like this is a hostile work environment, if they feel like there's 
some dark cloud hanging over your head every time that you see your supervisor and every time that your supervisor sees you, that's a hostile work environment. I would hate to walk into Walmart one day and just give my boss the finger or for that matter, crack a can of beer open, lay it on his desk and then tell him he's going to drink it or else I'm going to kick his ass. My point is, nobody in their right mind acts like Steve Austin does. I don't know whether to sympathize with Vince McMahon or whether to be on the side of Steve Austin because everyone at that time wanted to be on Steve Austin's side for the pure fact. This is the only reason that people wanted to be on Steve Austin's side. Because Mr. McMahon is such a tyrant and such a good bad guy that it makes Steve Austin as the opposite, which he wasn't necessarily a, a, a face. You see, Austin laid between the face and the heel. It's something very hard to pull off. Austin was what you call an anti-hero. He did not favor any factions he did not care for anybody who got in his way to get whatever goal that he wanted to accomplish. He would take everyone out and he would take no prisoners. It's important that you understand that. That Steve Austin, regardless of the fact that he had no friends, regardless of the fact that like he didn't care. But anyway, they play the uh, following after the 1999 Royal Rumble, the Monday Night Raw after that, where McMahon comes out and then he basically says, well, I guess that means I'm in the main event of WrestleMania, right? And then he said, wrong. And then he basically comes out and says, I would like to relinquish all of my obligations for WrestleMania and then Shawn Michaels comes up on the Titantron along with Vince McMahon. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, along with Steve Austin. Michaels and Austin inform Mr. McMahon that um, if he's going to relinquish his, his, his winning for the Royal Rumble, there was no point in him winning it in the first place. And who was he going to relinquish it to? And McMahon basically says absolutely nothing. He stands there like a moron with his mouth open. And then Shawn Michaels reminds Mr. McMahon that they need a Royal Rumble winner in order to find a main event at WrestleMania. And for those of you who don't know, that was the case back then. That's not the case now. Because... If you look back, the WWE Network or anywhere else for that matter, the position of the card, and I've talked about this before in previous videos, the position of the match card that most people are on is not the main event. And for that matter, the Royal Rumble winner does not go on always to headline Wrestlemania. Matter of fact, only a small percentage do. And that started in 1995, according to an article that I read online. So if it started in 95, and we're at 99 right now, and I've already talked about Royal Rumble 2000, which... If I go back and look, the Royal Rumble winner, well, actually the Royal Rumble match was um, The Rock. Yeah. And um, he did main event that year's WrestleMania, along with three other superstars. Triple H who was the champion at the time, 
the big show, Paul White, and Cactus Jack, who was semi-retired, unless I already said Mankind. So was it Triple H, The Rock, The Big Show, Triple H, The Rock, The Big Show, and Mankind? who was Cactus Jack. Anyway, my point, of course, being is that, what do you know? I might get through an hour. We're already at 20 minutes, and I've got a lot to talk about. My point, of course, being is that on this episode of Monday Night Raw, you get a lot of recaps, basically. Oh, yeah. Uh, on the Titan Tron, you've seen Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin. Michaels pours Austin a drink, and Austin proceeds to drink it. And then Michaels and Austin inform McMahon that, um, well, seeing as though that your title shot's already up on the line, what do you say you put it up against me? McMahon informs Austin of the restraining order that he has against uh, Steve Austin. He lets him know that, um, you know, you can't lay a hand on me, Mr. Austin. But little does McMahon know that a restraining order works both ways. Like, if I was to file a restraining order against my neighbor, who probably lives two houses from me, I can't. I can't go to her house and then just antagonize her, you know, because the restraining order says that she's supposed to keep 500 feet away from me. <laughs> and myself and her, I'm pretty sure the the other party has to sign said restraining order. I could be wrong about that. But it has to be an agreement. So basically, what this sets up for is a cage match between Steve Austin and, uh, almost said Stephanie McMahon, and I don't know why, and Vince McMahon. Um, and had that been the case, it'd just be a cage match to determine who gets the spot at WrestleMania. But why would McMahon want it in the first place? He just wanted to have it so that Austin couldn't have it, which is petty. It sounds like McMahon is being more petty than Steve Austin in the first place. Come to think of it, how did this silly little feud even start? I think it was because McMahon uh, wanted Austin to be uh, a model representation of the WWF. The only reason Steve Austin was not a, quote, model representation of the WWF was because uh, he's a relatable character. Who doesn't want to go to work every day and just give their boss pure hell? And after giving their boss pure hell, knowing that they've got job security because everyone around them except for their boss, likes them. Had it been me, I'd want it the other way around. If I wanted anyone to hate me, I would want it to be everyone around me, and I would want my boss to know that I was doing a halfway decent job to not give him or her a reason to fire me. In this case, I got two or three bosses, but the point is, I wouldn't want to piss them off, you know? Continuing where we were, though. <clears throat> and um, another thing that... This was on an episode of... February 13th, 1999. I don't know who said it first, but I made a note here. <clears throat> McMahon says... To Steve Austin, 
that after the night in question, the um the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, once again, not that St. Valentine's Day Massacre of Babyface Nelson and uh, Chicago gangsters basically gunning down 30 or 40 people. Not that one. The historically inaccurate St. Valentine's Day Massacre of the cage match <coughs> that we're referring to because this podcast is not about Chicago gangsters or Chicago crime for that matter. Had that been the case, McMahon or Jericho? Because Jericho used to say this a lot, but McMahon says it right here. What he says is to Steve Austin that after the Valentine's Day Massacre is over, the Valentine's Day Massacre event, of course, he tells him, you will never be the same again. Now, Jericho does it different, but it's basically the same thing. Because throughout the night, that's what McMahon basically drives home. What did I tell you, Austin? What did I tell you? I told you you would never be the same again. Jericho, however, does it a little bit differently. Because the second time that McMahon did it, he did stretch the never like that. But the first time that he did it, he just said, you will never be the same again. Never be the same again. Speaking in that monotone voice that it sounds like, at least to me right now, it sounds like I'm speaking in as well which I'm trying to get rid of that monotone voice, everyone. I do apologize. Once again, if it's hard to hear me, please turn your hearing aid up. Once again, sorry for the minute coughing. I'm trying to get rid of this frog in my throat. However, moving on to the rest of the night, and we see Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler trying to talk over McMahon's music. This is beautiful, because I've already addressed this before. At the NXT pay-per-view event, I forget which one at this point, uh, War Games. At the War Games event, Beth Phoenix had trouble talking over some godforsaken music. At the day one event... I was trying to remember the name of that event. At the day one event, all you heard was shuffling and shuffling and shuffling and shuffling as Michael Cole tried to speak over the music as the Mingos or the Mangos or the the, the Minigos or the, the Three Amigos tried to um, talk over Michael Cole just straightening and straightening and straightening yeah it's straightening not shuffling and straightening and straightening and straightening and straightening and straightening and straight and straightening and straightening and straightening and straightening i think you get the point i'm starting to lose my voice already i shouldn't have already done that i do apologize for that ladies and gentlemen this is Top-notch content. Pay me $5. I'm joking, by the way. But after all this, we're still not getting into the first match of the night. Which is coming up right after the break, according to them. So anyway, the commercial break comes and goes. D'Lo Brown versus Jeff Jarrett. Um, D'Lo Brown was accompanied by Mark Henry. Jeff Jarrett was accompanied by Deborah, who was also accompanied by Owen Hart. Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart were the tag team champions at the time, and they were set to 
they were scheduled. Excuse me. They were scheduled to um, defend their tag team titles at the um, pay-per-view in question, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Once again, not the gangster shooting, but the unpolitical one. Had that been the case, um, it's it's really, really sloppy looking, okay? Because the only thing that happens is Ivory gets up on the apron because before the match even begins, um, Mark Henry is eyeballing Deborah, and I mean, he's eyeballing her like she's a piece of candy, and I mean, he is sexual chocolate, so that doesn't surprise me and D'Lo Brown says hang on Mark hang on I know you've been eyeballing Deborah. I know you're looking at her like she's a fine cut of meat at the deli or something like that he tells he tells him he's like well anyway he says I present to you someone who will do whatever you want whenever you want however you want She'll do it at the Dairy Queen. She'll do it at the Burger King. She'll do it all night long. Anyway, whenever D-Lo gets done basically telling Mark Henry that, you know, he's got this this huge, huge date set up for him, he introduces Ivory. And... King and Jerry Lawler act like that they've never seen her before. That's Ivory? They're like, that's not Ivory. And then they're like, that's Ivory? <laughs> anyway, Ivory comes to the to the uh, ringside, right opposite side of uh, Deborah and Owen Hart, and... What ends up happening is basically, so Ivory gets involved because Jared's got, um, I didn't write this all down as part of my notes, it's just easy to remember. Ivory, uh, distracts Jeff Jared because Jared's got, um, D'Lo in a figure four and, um, Jared's wondering what the hell are you doing? He, he like gets up after applying the figure four to D'Lo, who's tapping, basically, he's he's tapping out, and the referee's distracted by Deborah and Owen Hart, and Ivory comes into the ring, and he ends up, D'Lo ends up getting the, the, the sloppiest looking down low that I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh, I'm sorry. Sky high. That's the name of his move. Sky high. It's basically just a, um, a version of the RKO, except he does a spine buster. Thank the RKO that, um, Randy Orton hit off of Seth Rollins at their WrestleMania 32 match, which I think Rollins should have kicked out of, honestly, but that's neither here nor there. My point, of course, being is that I gave it one out of five stars because it ended almost as soon as it began. Whenever the bell rang, the referee immediately got distracted. Ivory comes into the ring. Jared wonders what the hell she's doing. Whenever Jared turns around, he gets hit with a um, sky high. One, two, three. Ring the bell. One out of five stars. Not very entertaining. And Owen Hart and Jeff Jared looked really surprised. Like, what the hell was that? I was trying to see what ivory was doing she came in the ring she's not supposed to be in the ring we talked about this at the meeting you know like <laughs> jeff jared just acted really surprised like 
I thought we were having hot dogs for lunch. Otherwise, I would have brought chili. <laughs> but instead, I brought cheese because you said hamburger meat. Jared is acting really, really surprised. <laughs> Ivory's not supposed to be in the ring. <laughs> Okay, my point of my point of course is that it's it was entertaining, okay? But it wasn't for like a wrestling match, it wasn't anything special. Especially the segment between D Lo and um Mark Henry, that was the really entertaining part. I promise you guys I'm not trying to stretch this out. It was just a one on one singles match, but apparently it was to build it was to build heat between D'Lo and Mark Henry um, because not between D'Lo and Mark Henry, between D'Lo, Mark Henry, Jeff Jarrett, and Owen Hart, who were the tag team champions. The, the former were the tag team champions, Jeff Jarrett and uh, Owen Hart. <coughs> And honestly, it had been a while since I'd heard Jeff Jarrett's music, so whenever I was watching it on my phone, I was like, who's that? And I was like, oh yeah, that's Jeff Jarrett. Why did I just ask myself who that was? Because, of course, the guitar strum, and then I was like, oh man, that's that Nashville tune. But it was really sloppy, and... um. The thing that really got me was the fact that uh, whenever Ivory was introduced, uh, Mark Henry, to Mark Henry, like, whenever D'Lo was introducing her to Henry, he's like, brother, I got her, and she's on standby, and then he said, Mark, Henry, meet Ivory. Over commentary, Jerry Lawler tells Michael Cole, she's not your type. She's not inflatable. And for if you don't know, last week we reviewed the um 2000 the year 2000 Royal Rumble. He used that exact same line. He used that exact same line during the Miss Rumble bikini contest. He told Finkel to get out of the ring. He said None of these women are your type. He said they're not inflatable. And I wrote that down too. Jerry Lawler recycling the same jokes. That's that's something else, man. I swear. The building they're broadcasting from has a hotel connected to it. So they're at the Sky Dome in Toronto, Canada. I think that they said, or the Skybox. The sky somewhere. And um, cameras caught footage of Val Venus making love to Ken Shamrock's sister. And they play this they play this montage footage of Val Venus and um, Ken Shamrock's sister uh, having sex. I don't want to say her name because she's named after a man. Ugh. Like she had a sex change, you know. Her name was, let's say, Rodney, and she still kept her name, you know? Like, that's the most unattractive thing. Like, women named Charlie. Uh, no, I'm calling you Carly. Your name's not fucking Charlie, all right? Anyway, um, it kind of like caught footage of Ken Shamrock's sister and Val Venus having sex and it wasn't like that they caught footage of them like actually having sex or anything because the camera was like too far away to tell whether or not they were actually having sex but let's put it this way she rips his towel off and then they go behind the curtain while they're kissing Gildberg versus Gold Dust. So you guys ain't gonna believe this. 
And um, they went ahead and said Guildberg is zero and two. Right? There's no way Guildberg would beat Gold Dust, right? Think about it. I mean, it's. I mean, he's Guildberg, right? I gave it one out of five stars. Um, Goldberg's entrance alone takes like five minutes. Or Guildberg, not Goldberg. Holy crap. Guildberg's entrance alone takes like five minutes. Goldust was a, a Guild Guildberg rather was going uh zero and two. So into this match he had no momentum whatsoever. And Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler kept asking, Who's gonna be first? Who's gonna be first? Guildberg said that Goldust was gonna be first. What does that even mean? Who's gonna be first? Is and you want to know what the funny part is? Guildberg did a uh, shout out to my podcast on Cameo, and it's on my Twitter. But I don't think anybody watched it. Honestly, I paid the man like eighty dollars, eighty fucking dollars, and that was like four weeks ago, or probably the beginning of December. Yeah. I paid twice to have Paige shout me out, and the only thing I got back was a refund. Twice to have Paige. But before I get a Paige shout out, I end up getting a James Ellsworth shout out and a shout out from this man, Guildberg. But anyway, Gold Dust becomes uh, distracted. By a man dressed in all blue who's calling himself Blue Dust. And Blue Dust is the blue meanie. And the lights go out, and you know how the brood used to bathe people in blood? Like, there would be like blood baths. But instead, gold dust would be bathed in blue paint. So there he is trying to get away from the blue paint and he's covered in blue. I feel like I should start singing, I'm blue, I'm a D-body, die, I'm a blue, I'm a... I don't know the name of that song or anything else about it. For that matter, <clears throat> that song right now is irrelevant. I'm running out of time. Billy Gunn is the special guest referee for Ken Shamrock versus Val Venus. So here's the problem, okay? Whenever Ken Shamrock versus Val Venus was um, announced, Earl Hebner, senior referee, said he's concerned for his officials' safeties because every time that Ken Shamrock and Val Venus get together for a fight, and it's been like three fights in this same fucking episode they've been having. They've caught each other in the dressing room and just started wailing on each other. Every time that an official tries to pull them apart, Ken Shamrock suplexes, headbutts, or um, face fucks. Not, not literally. Don't imagine that. manhandles any of their um, officials. So, in order to stop said officials from being harmed, senior official Earl Hebner, who has the power to do this, believe it or not, and especially at that time, you see, the job of a senior the job of a senior official is usually to coordinate which matches or which uh, referees um, dictate which matches that which referees get to referee. So the opening contest is usually either Mike Kyoto or Tim White. 
you know, to let them know what their schedule would be. Much like myself, I know when I work, I know that I got to be at work at seven o'clock in the morning until four o'clock in the afternoon. That's my shift and that's where I work or that's the shift that I work rather. That's not where I work. My point being is that I don't work for the WWF as a senior official or any other official for that matter. My point is, and I'm straying away from the point really, really fast. Billy Gunn said that he wanted to be the referee because they didn't have one. And if you don't know, that's the second special guest referee that we're going to see today. Or not at the... Holy crap. So, not at the... um. St. Valentine's Day Massacre event. That's not the second special guest referee. I put that in air quotes that we're going to see at the um, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Not the gangster shooting, but of course the actual massacre in a cage match. The unofficial one. My point, of course, is that Billy Gunn thought, you know, can't be that hard to official these two, officiate these two. Well, Billy Gunn ends up basically getting his ass kicked because he's trying to break up a fight between the two of them in the locker room. And he's he basically gives up after Ken Shamrock punches him about four times. And then afterwards... My cats are fighting. And then afterwards, he starts wailing on Ken Shamrock while getting wailed on by Val Venus while he was only trying to separate the two of them. Good job, Billy Gunn. Good job. Way to officiate that match. But anyway, another special guest referee match, but it's... it's I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's not a match. It's a ploy. <clears throat> so the reason that this match came about according to Jim Ross holy crap I'm a fucking idiot according to Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler according to Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler apparently um, Cole and Lawler are going back and forth and then they're like are you blind you stupid idiot can you not see that Mr. McMahon just wants Austin and the champion, Mankind, to tear each other apart? Are you stupid, Michael Cole? Ha <laughs> ha! Are you stupid, Michael Cole? It's practically his catchphrase at this point. He should have just put it on a t-shirt. Are you stupid, Michael Cole? Imagine having that on a t-shirt. That'd be pretty cool. But anyway, Mankind, the WWF champion, and Steve Austin will face off against each other. Um, McMahon basically comes into the ring and he digs his own grave and he puts the final nail in his own coffin because he says, okay, here's how I want this match to be done. He comes out and then he's basically telling him, I want you to poke him in the eye. I want you to low blow him. I want to see chair shots. He said, I want to see you two mangle each other. He's like, I want to see somebody get their ass kicked, damn it. And he's supposed to be the special guest referee for this match. This Okay, I'm going to put it in air quotes. It's not a match. I'm just letting you know it's practically a segment. McMahon picks up a microphone and he lets him know. I want to see you gouge him in the eye. I don't want to see you respecting him at all. I don't care what happens to mankind. And he's like, and I don't care what happens to Steve Austin either, you bastard. He's he's basically laying it on thick for both of them. He wants to see them both kill each other. And um, Austin grabs the microphone from him and then he says, okay, we get it. You want to see me kick his ass? He says... 
if you want to see Steve Austin kicking ass, you say, hell yeah. And of course the crowd, hell yeah. And then he says, that's what I thought. Now, on to business. He basically lays it on thick for Mr. McMahon. He says, well, the way I see it, Steve Austin sees it, I'm going to be kicking an ass and walking it dry and... There ain't a goddamn thing you can do about that. Austin basically comes out and says that he's going to kick somebody's ass. And he asks Vince McMahon if he wants to see somebody get his ass kicked. And Vince McMahon replies, yeah, that's what I want to see. That's what I came to see. That's why I'm the referee. And he says, okay. Only problem with that is, Vince, I'm not going to be kicking his ass. And then he points at... He points at Mankind, and then Mankind almost gestures that he's not going to be kicking Steve Austin's ass either. And then he said, seeing as though that you're the only son of a bitch in the ring that wants to get his ass kicked. <laughs> so he ran right into that one. He, if, you, if you go back and you watch this one, February 13th, 1999 you go back and you watch this one you'll see austin set vince mcmahon up it's hilarious and vince just walks right into it but nonetheless viscera versus the godfather i gave it one out of five stars oh then that match between that that match between Austin and Mankind, it didn't happen. I'm just going to let you guys know, that wasn't a match at all. McMahon, for whatever reason, wanted to get Austin and Mankind in the same ring so that he could tell them that he didn't want them to play fair. Had he would have just kept his mouth shut and refereed the match like he had planned on doing, I'm sure that, um, you know, maybe they would have at least put up a, a good, decent match. And here's another thing that I was talking about before. The position of the card in a wrestling venue. So, Viscera, accompanied by Midian, by the way, versus The Godfather. And before that, you had... Steve Austin versus Mankind. Even in a segment, even in a segment that you are trying to build for it to be a, um, a wrestling match, I guess, that you are trying to say, hey, folks, come on down to, uh, this wrestling venue here. We've got Austin versus Mankind. And after that, you can watch Viscera versus The Godfather. You know, like people, you need to make them wait for the main event. Even if it's just a segment that you're trying to ploy off as a wrestling match. Viscera versus Godfather should have been lower down on the card rather than after... Your champion, Mankind, and your number one contender, or your possible number one contender, Steve Austin. But the way that they're building it makes it seem like he's going to be your number one contender. If Vince McMahon hated Austin so bad, like I said at the beginning of this episode, he would just fire him. It'd be a cut and dry story after that. And then we have Kane versus X-Pac. I gave it two out of five stars, even though it was a DQ finish. Um, <clears throat> Kane was doing a lot of moves that you don't see him do often. And he came out really angry and he was really selling the whole, you know, I've been hurt and no one hurts me. No one tortures my soul. He was really selling that whole bit. 
Al Snow, this was the highlight of the night, okay? This was the best part of the fucking... I can't make this shit up, okay? You... You're not going to believe me. You, the people who are listening to this podcast right now are closing your eyes, you're not going to believe me. I swear to you that I'm not trying to stretch this out to be at least an hour so that, oh, content... It's just one episode of Monday Night Raw. How can I stretch it out to be an hour long? But I spent too much time talking about D'Lo Brown and and fucking... the. It wasn't the nation at the time, but D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry and Ivory because there was so much going on in that one match. <clears throat> in that one match, rather. Al Snow in a hardcore match against himself. You heard me correctly, ladies and gentlemen. Al Snow against Al Snow in a one-on-one contest to figure out, I guess, who the real Slim Shady is? Because would the real Al Snow please stand up? And this is not like The Undertaker versus The Undertaker at SummerSlam 99. This is like Al Snow versus Al Snow. I even wrote down here, I said, should I rate it? Question mark. And then I even wrote here, can I rate it? Question mark. Can I? Can I rate that? On a one to five scale, he sprayed himself with a fire extinguisher. He put himself through a table. It was beautifully done and entertaining, but I don't know if I can rate it. I don't know if I can tell you, oh, I give it five out of five stars. Because I'm not handing out five out of five stars like they're candy bars. On top of that, I don't even know if it was a real wrestling match or not. Hardcore Holly ends up coming out, and then he ends up beating the shit out of Hardcore Holly. And Hardcore Holly ends up beating the shit out of him. Whenever he comes out, Michael Cole basically says, what What? what the fuck is Al Snow doing out here? He's not supposed to be out here. He's not even on the card. So he was unexpectedly showing up. And then Draws, for those of you who don't know what Draws is, he's basically uh, one half of a tag team at this time. Um, him and another man named Albert were basically a cohesive unit at the time. And I'm not sure what their tag team name was, I forget. Darren Drawsnoff, though, would years later be uh, confined to a wheelchair after D'Lo Brown did a move to him known only as the Sky High. And (coughs) it is not a pretty picture. So it was an accident, though. You know, he would be confined to a wheelchair. He would be paralyzed um after one foul move gone wrong but Darren Drozdenoff uh slaps Kevin Kelly for uh calling him a I don't know why it says punkin or oh, calls him a punk on Sunday it didn't say punkin it said a punk and then on like p u n k o n instead of you know, actually spelling punk yet. You know what? Shut up. I can't even read my own handwriting. Don't make fun of me for it. The Rock versus Steve Blackman. I give it three out of five stars. And then Vince McMahon comes up with this great idea of putting Steve Austin in a gauntlet match with the um corporation members. And the corporation members are as follows. Ken Shamrock, Kane, China, Pat Patterson, Test, Big Boss Man, Vince, 
and Shane. Okay, well, Shane wasn't there and neither was Pat Patterson, but I wrote them down before seeing who it was that they were going to throw into the ring because I just figured, oh, I know who the corporation members are. Everyone who fucking walks into the ring, or walks into the ring, I mean walks uh, down the ramp. Um, and for the shock level value, I gave it four out of five stars because I really didn't see that one coming because McMahon pins Austin. I would say clean, but that's not clean. Um, that's kind of dirty and the match itself. I just give it two out of five stars for the most part. It was nothing more than Steve Austin hitting the stunner. And as soon as he would hit the stunner test or the big boss man or uh, whoever else for that matter. I'm going to cheat here and look at China. Um, here's here's how the match would go. Um, the first person starting and then Austin is a house of fire and then Austin would get shut down. And then... Uh, oh, he's got him in a side headlock, reverse headlock, and then Austin would shut him down. And then they would go for like a clothesline or a uh, shoulder bump, uh, shoulder tackle, or a big boot. Austin would dunk under, and then stunner. And then after he would hit the stunner, they would roll out of the ring. Like, he only had to hit one stunner. He would go to pin them, and then they would just roll out of the ring. Because the goal here in the gauntlet match, apparently apparently they don't know the rules to a gauntlet match. Because in other gauntlet matches that I've seen, take for example, SmackDown vs. Raw 2009, there was a match um, there was a match between John Cena and John Cena had to face off against Umaga, MVP, and Randy Orton, if I remember correctly, in a gauntlet match. You want to know what happened after um, Cena would pin MVP, Umaga, or Randy Orton? They would be eliminated. You want to know what would happen after he would hit them with an AA? Nothing. Like, I don't get it. So what? Steve Austin hits a stunner. That's not supposed to eliminate them from the match this is not a match where if you can hit a stunner you can win they apparently didn't know what a gauntlet match was so they decided to book it as though that it was a hit your finisher match if you can hit your finisher you can win and nobody else was hitting their finisher mr mcmahon just wore steve austin down He wore him down enough to wherever he could finally pin him and make it look like he was the one who was the the head honcho, the, the man on top, you know? I'm not mad at McMahon for it. Really, I'm not. It makes no difference to me whether McMahon won that night or whether or not he... The Steve Austin wins when it counts. That's the way that I see it, and that's what Jericho said, too. He said... I win when it counts. And today, it didn't count. The point that I'm trying to make is that this episode was just one episode of Monday Night Raw, I guess to rant about nonsense that's irrelevant today. I was going to watch the AEW event too, the Beach Bash, and I'm probably going to watch it next week. Seems as though that by next week, I will have my phone turned on. As I stated before, my phone service ran dead, and that's why I couldn't watch the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Once again, not the gangster shooting. Why would I watch that? I would be a cruel son of a bitch to watch that and rate it one to five stars. What's wrong with me? It'd be like watching the Holocaust as it happens and then just being like going around 
telling Hitler, oh man, that was totally a one out of five star move. Like, who would do that? What kind of cruel, sick son of a bitch would do something like that? My point, of course, if I ever have a point, ladies and gentlemen, I know you're tired of hearing me say my point, of course. My absolute go-to point is that I'm not talking about the gangster shooting that happened in the 20s or the 60s or the whenever. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to do it for me. And until next time, remember to say your prayers, eat your vitamins. And that that's a cut, boys. That's a wrap. If you'll excuse me, I have to go stop my cats from tearing each other apart because they're having a fight right now. Uh, they're playing, but it it sounds like somebody's getting hurt. You know, like they're like. That's a wrap.